cold open question for Friday, January 12th. Brendan Clean. Eric Spolstra, Heat head coach. I think Heat lifer we can project it out at this point as long as anyone's a lifer in anything in sports anymore. Just got locked up for a long time and a lot of money by the Miami Heat. So I ask you this. How many other coaches in the league would you feel comfortable just committing to long-term, all-in with the money to right now if you were going to turn your franchise over to them? It is not a long list. I think my answer is either zero or one. I think Eric Spolstra is that much better than the rest of his counterparts. I think that he has proven more than almost anybody else has proven over various conceptuals of this team and constructs of this team. The only other guy, Chris, that I could think of was Ty Lue. Ty Lue is the only other NBA coach that I think has the pedigree and who I respect as a tactician and a leader enough that I would even consider this type of thing. But he certainly hasn't proven as much as Spo either. But I could only get to one, which was Lou. I think that's about right. I think obviously Greg Popovich is just not really in this category because he's kind of in the legend status and he's at a different phase of his career. But And I, also I just got a contract like this, but also to be the basketball operations lead. So different category too from that standpoint. Yes. Lou is the obvious one. Uh, Brendan, I tend to think, if I'm honest with you, I think he might be not. He might be underrated by some people as a head coach among like general discourse. I think that guy is unbelievable as a head coach, and he's been really good from the get go. First in Cleveland and winning a title, and like I, ha- I know he had LeBron and all of that stuff, but to win a championship in your first half season as a head coach is frankly remarkable. So like that guy's just really good. Yeah, the only and- other one that came to mind. Go ahead. No, I think Ty Lue, no, you said it. That's it. I mean, he's, he's, if you listen to anybody else around the league, if you listen to coaches who are playing him in a playoff series, if you talk to players, he has the respect, I think, internally. But yeah, maybe not uh, at the national level. But I was yeah. going to ask if you remember why that the Lakers didn't want him. Do you remember that? That you episode? Know, I, I... <laughs> Lakers have done some really funny stuff. I you one wonders if they would just have had the same head coach the whole time because they would have just hired someone LeBron truly respects and just like pay him the money, you know? And then would have been smart. PPP would have been smart. The only other name that came to mind for me, and it's a little complicated because I think the job he's doing this year and some of the warts with him I think have come up, but I do think he's a really good coach who's obviously won a lot. Is Steve Kerr? That's the only other name that I thought about. So I think at max, on top of Spo, if, if I was going to make like a list and you said I had to include three or what's the what's the long version of my list, I think it is literally Spo, Ty Lue, and Steve Kerr, and that is the list. I would put Michael Malone above Steve Kerr. Okay, I like this take. I like this take because Mike Malone, although I don't think anyone... He prefers him, Michael. Sorry, sorry, Michael Malone, father, uh, son of the, the late Brendan Malone. Mm-hmm. So a lifer in the game. He is all, he is someone that I also think to some degree is underrated because I don't think he gets the rub. I think like Jokic gets the rub for the system and the offense and all the, the flashy shit Denver does. Mike Malone, 
I think is directly at the core of the culture of the Nuggets that is leading that led them to a championship last year and is responsible for so much of the organization. Because I so I love that take. You could add Mike Malone to that list as well, but I, so I like him above Kerr as a take. <clears throat> to construct a defense around their personnel is, I think, pretty impressive. And they're well coached and they executed a high level on defense because one thing that they have to do because of the limitations of Nikola Jokic is scheme and vary their scheme and execute it moment to moment, zone, hedging, dropping, whatever in the pick and roll all the time, different stuff. And they do it really well. The other thing is he's shown an ability to turn over young players and turn over role players and maximize whatever version it is. He hasn't had the opportunity to do that as long as Spo, but guys, the young guys on this Nuggets team are kind of meeting the moment. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. It's one thing to win when like Jeff Green's coming off your bench and Bruce Brown. It's another one. It's like, hey, Peyton, you know, answer our whole championship dreams are resting on your shoulders. You got that? And and Peyton Watson's kind of said yes in large part because of the coaching there. So uh, I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. But yeah, the list is not long here on this one. The last two names I will shout before we move on and get into the the meat of the show, which will open up with a very disappointing Celtics the uh, Bucks game. I think there's a chance Joe Mazzulla gets on that list, and I do think Quinn Snyder, although it hasn't gone great from Atlanta, I don't know how much I can put on him with that roster. I think that guy has just been great the whole time he's been in the league, and he's one of those also one of those guys that is just so well thought of and so well respected. So I think Mazzulla and Snyder would also be someone that I, I guys you could look at to some degree as well. So not Monty Williams. Well, it's fine. I mean, really the, you, you joke, but the, the one name that we kind of skipped over that probably is this guy for the Pacers um, is Rick Carlisle. Cause he nah, just is no, I, I, not a Carlisle guy. I'm fine with Rick Carlisle. I think he's shown an, impressive ability to adapt to the modern NBA and go from kind of the stuffy old guy to somebody pushing the limits of offense in Dallas and in Indiana. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's been around a long time. Anyone who was around like the Ben Wallace Pistons and the Reggie Miller Pacers, and then also the, you know, uh, Dirk Nowitzki Mavs, Luka Doncic Mavs, and Tyrese Halliburton Pacers. Like, that's a pretty uh, impressive life. I'm Who am I to, to cast aspersions on that? But no, I don't think he belongs in the upper, upper, upper tier of, of NBA coaches. I think Joe Missoula doesn't either. We got to give it a time. And also, no. as we break down this game, it's a rough day to make that uh, case, I think, for either I one said, of us. I, I said potential to get there. I didn't yeah, say no, 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 I know. Yeah. I think if we're right, saying we're potential, end. I'd put Mark Dagnalt up there. That's a great take. I mean, you could. I think Dagnall and Will Hardy would be like both guys you could talk me into just being like long term awesome successes. Which I, which I love. It's a whole other episode, but I love the. I love from the beginning those kind of markets going for that kind of coach. Even I know it, it's based on where the roster is at, but those are really innovative hires in a lot of ways. You, I think other teams that go through similar things could learn something from. All right, coming up on today's show, Celtics Bucks. We're going to talk Alina Deladon's possible exit from the mystics we're going to talk Kawhi leonard we're going to talk vic Wembenyama. we're going to do waving the flag on the magic and the kings let's dive into the just basketball show
Welcome in to the Just Basketball Show. I am Chris Manning. That is my guy, your friend and mine, Brendan Clean. If you haven't already, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Five-star reviews only. Hit subscribe on our YouTube channel. Hit the notification bell for all future episodes, episode breakouts, everything we're going to do on YouTube for the Just Basketball Show. Before we get into Celtics Bucks, we're going to talk about Thrive Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy is one of our great partners, and they are a player prop DFS platform where you can pick more or less on your favorite players across multiple sports, including the NBA and the NFL. Sign up today with our code Just Basketball and Thrive will match your first deposit up to two hundred and fifty dollars. Myself, our guy Colby Olson, are doing during the week videos in partnership with Thrive Fantasy over on our TikTok, over under prop picks for the NBA. Coming into Thursday night slated games, had a record of 37-23 and 23 on those picks, up near 62 damn percent. It's pretty good. Follow along, tap in, we're posting those on TikTok, on our Instagram, so come in, check them out, and again, use that code, Just Basketball at Thrive Fantasy for an amazing first deposit match. So, Brendan, uh, Celtics Bucks. A game that we planned our recording around because we're like, all right, the first game was great. It's two of the powerhouses in the East. Let's see how the Bucks match up against Boston, who we have as the only team in the East as an inner ring title favorite right now. Wasn't a game. Wasn't ever really competitive. The Bucks come out hot from the beginning. They come out aggressive. They come out direct. I thought looked as good as we've seen them all year, at least from when I've seen them. And then the Celtics open the second half by just sitting all of their players and waving the white flag. A bummer. I mean, straight up, just no way around it. A, a bummer for this to be a Thursday night big-time game and us get nothing out of it. A huge bummer. I just got a text from a friend as you were doing our wonderful intro that I believe uh, dispatched live as we're recording this inside the NBA went away from the game. They just turned it off. It will not be televised today because of how bad it has been. Um, I don't know if that's permanent or if that was just like, hey, let's do a cut in to remind people Shaq and Chuck are still around and you want to keep that uh, TV on. But that's how bad it was. And, you know, there's a lot of discourse already on the Internet about the schedule and everything else. And that to me is uh, boring. So we won't spend any time breaking that down, but I also think it's a little bit of an excuse for Boston, right? I mean, this is a team that I think rightly for most of this season, I made the case that they are, I would take them over the field recently at this exact moment. And I think they've earned that. But a night like this, you should you should be schedule proof. You should be at least competitive, right? I'm not saying win. I'm not saying win by 20, but I'm saying, hey, don't lose by 40. And they could get no penetration to the basket tonight. They seemingly had nothing in the tank in terms of containing Damian Lillard or Giannis in transition or any of the things that they needed to do to win. And that type of effort, that type of performance is embarrassing no matter what the schedule says, no matter what the context might be. Yes, they're on the road, whatever you want to say. It should never be this ugly. And then to bench your starters is just a, a real kind of cherry on top of a disgusting shitty cake. So I just, I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty embarrassing, but you know, I think the next time these, these teams square off, it won't be this bad. I'm not trying to paint a picture of something extreme, but it is a bummer. And I think a lot of fans were looking forward to this one. Try to see what you can do in the second half. I don't know. Why not? It's basketball. It's I mean, the NBA. It's what you're paid to do. 
I mean, I straight up been just disappointed. I wanted to watch as much as possible something highly, highly competitive between two of the best teams in the league, two of the teams that we want to see in a real play in a real place come the Eastern Conference playoffs. I wanted to see where the Bucks at this current moment stand against a team that has been, I think, by far the best team in the East for this entire season. That is what you watch regular season basketball to do is to elite this is how I view regular season basketball, I guess. You want to see the best games you possibly can. You want to learn as much as you can and take away as much as you can and analyze as much as you possibly can and try to project it out for the season and the games that that matter the most that have the most stock in them and this is just a game you could like if you're looking at data sets if you're looking at like any sort of analysis between the celtics and the bucks for this year you have to take this out and whether it's the film whether it's the numbers whatever combination of those things you want to use you kind of just have to like chuck this out and take nothing from it like there's nothing you can I take mean, from this do you say, do you I think would. so i feel like as much as it was ugly and obviously it was like, you know, a quarter and a half of even competitive basketball, I also do think that the Bucks reminding us that they can do this defensively, even against a team sure. that whose legs were kind of dead, is something. I think a lot of the early part of this game just came down to the Boston creators, whether that was, it felt like a lot of Drew Holiday and not enough Tatum, but whoever had the ball, those guys couldn't make a good possession out of any time down the court, it felt like. Whereas Damian Lillard felt like he could do that whenever he wanted. And to me, it just sort of feels like that might be a little bit of a shape of what this type of a series could look like down the line. And to me on the Milwaukee side, a little bit of clarity of maybe what the best version of this offense looks like as they continue to figure things out, which is probably in the half court, Damian Lillard as the clear cut number one option. So I feel like we learned something. I just wish it would have been four quarters of learning instead of like one and a half. Yeah, I think that I think you're a little more correct than me in this case. I think if you look at what they what the Bucks did as far as their attitude and as far as coming out aggressive, you could tell they at least showed up for this game that they deeply cared about this game in a real way. And I think that does speak to a what they did, but also just what that group is made of. And I don't think we should have ever doubted that, considering we know what Giannis is about, we know what Dame is about, but just on a competitive level. Bobby Portis, who was, who was like the leading scorer uh, at the time we were recording this and was super aggressive in this game. Like, there's something to that at the very least that you're getting lessons in that this Bucks group, I think, w- whether they can be the team to win the East or not, they're going to probably give Boston everything they can throw at them when it does come down to it. Like, I think this is at least a reminder of that and the defensive stuff you're getting at. And they've been able to rise to the occasion i think uh, in big spots throughout the year right i think the nba cup game against the knicks was pretty strong mm-hmm. yes what are the their most response fun games of the in the year? second yeah response in the second half the way that they answered julius randall's big night and at least provided some resistance to him to quiet him down enough to win that game and then the first game after the nba cup when they next played indiana who they've played i think 77 times this season um they 
Hot new rivalry, Brendan. They really handed it to them. Yeah. Kind of is. They really handed it to them. And I thought before tonight's first quarter, that was one of the best defensive stretches I'd seen Milwaukee play was how they dismantled Tyrese Halliburton, actually provided some resistance in transition and made him turn the ball over, slowed that team down and, and won that game pretty handily. So I think that's a good a good indicator for them. You'd like to see it more consistently, but I think the ability, like you said, to kind of rise in those moments is is super solid. And I think too, I mean, Chris Middleton didn't make shots tonight, but seven assists, zero turnovers. And I thought one of probably the best overall defensive player on the team, maybe outside of Brooke Lopez in this game. And when he's playing like that on both, both sides of the court, they are a really hard team to beat. He's the MVP after all. 100%. Let's let, let <laughs> yeah, Chris Middleton. One of your best bits, honestly. And honestly, in all seriousness, I want more beef like we got between the Pacers and the Bucks. I want more like random like weird rivalries like that that I get explainers for from ESPN about like where they talk to the equipment manager. Like I want more of that. That's fun. Give me like a give me like a Pistons Wizards beef. You know, I'm down. Jordan Poole, maybe and Pistons Spurs. Yeah, well, did you see the clip of, of Vic we're going to talk about in, in a moment getting annoyed, getting asked so much about the Pistons? Like, it got I did asked not, about that Pistons, like nobody wants to talk about Detroit that much, Pistons. so I get it. No. Yeah, all right, let's 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 end on this, Brendan, before we get into the last thing. So here, I'm going to run the East standings as of right now. They won't change based on this game. Bucks will be a game closer, but okay. Celtics, Bucks, 76ers. The Pacers are fourth. The Knicks are fifth. The Cavs are sixth. All those teams are 22 and 15 for what it's worth, just separated on, yeah. on different tiebreakers. The Heat are now seventh, and the Magic are eighth. Then you drop down to all the teams below 500, Chicago, Brooklyn, Atlanta, Toronto, etc. If you're going to make a pie chart of right now, you're, who you think are the best teams in the East, getting up to 100% of who could actually get out of the conference as of right now, January 12th, as people are watching or listening to us, how would you break up that pie chart? Who can get out of the East, so who's going to win the yeah. conference and represent who, it in who, the NBA Finals? Who, who can actually pull it off and, and mm-hmm. get out of the East as of right now? Yeah. Um, hmm. Probably would go... 55 Boston, 35 Milwaukee, 10 Philly. Okay, so I went 55. I, I agree, 55 the Celtics. I have them as the favorite. I think I, I Miami's not going to be my number two, but I think mm-hmm. there's a chance. I, I just think they could do it. Well, when you get suggest- your guy Donovan, they'll probably be right there, right? <laughs> hey, look. Jaime Jaquez, like three picks, and Tyler Hero. Let's you, you can you can have him. It'll be less picks than that. They're not going to get that good of a return if they have to trade him in the summer. But that's a whole other conversation for another day. He was very good in Paris, by the way. Forty-five. Pretty good. What's your percentage uh, for Miami then? So I'm going to go fifty-five for Boston. I'm going to go. I'm going to go twenty for Milwaukee to get me to seventy-five percent. Okay. And and I'm gonna go twelve and a half percent each for for Miami and Philly. If I was gonna right. have to tilt, and I would probably have, I think I'm. The Miami thing is just I just they just keep doing it, and I just don't want to like get to June again and be like, see, we're surprised, you know? Yeah, no, I I probably should have uh, should have 
couched it for that same reason. Um, we have waving the flag every week or, or roughly every week, Chris. Do we need to do cutting the pie? Is that no? That's next, a bad segment. Next segment. Okay. I'll come up with a, I'll come up with a better graph that would be like maybe more fun. You know, or do you have like a what's your go to dessert? Are you like a you like an ice cream guy? Mm. Like what's your what's your dessert of choice? I like cake, but cake's not like a you know. You don't really get to order that at restaurants. It's kind of a kind of a childish dish, but yeah, I'm, I'm think, a fan. I don't think cakes. I don't think cakes childish. Why do you think cakes childish? Who hurt you? Well, you don't go to like a you know nice steakhouse and they're like, all right, you know, here's a vanilla cake. It's like pie or you know uh, like a cheesecake maybe or yeah something nicer you know. So but yeah, they're not. We, like, hey, we don't need to cut the cake either. I don't think. I think we can maybe you know. Get a little more creative, but I think that's yeah. my that's that's where I would have it. I think Boston still is is way up there, and and that's not because of the schedule or whatever else. I did want to button up the uh, TNT thing. <laughs> they did go away from yeah. the game. They're currently broadcasting Knicks Mavs. Hell yeah, gotta get gotta. And get people are game. wondering if there's any video footage of this game. What happens? It's just going to be on NBA.com and like the archives, like scr- the you know stats scrubbed. website. Yeah, yeah, it's just basically scrubbed. the the Knicks. You know, five. Well, they're they're killing it in twenty twenty four. Every time I go on, on Instagram, I get graphics about how good the Knicks are since they got OG. So, should I put the Knicks at one percent in my in my chart? I don't think so. But they are sure good. OGs. Sure, probably not. All right, let's next get into Victor Wembanyama. Want to tell you first too about our friends at Homage, the ultra comfortable specialty apparel company where you can get vintage inspired designs they have nba and wmba licenses that pay homage to the greatest stories traditions and figures across sports music and pop culture use our link below make your purchase support the just basketball show they sent us a bunch of stuff when we started partnering with them brennan got this amazing i believe grand canyon t-shirt we got this same great jimmy butler t-shirt with the lasso in the moment they're back in stock, I am ordering. I am ordering the Starter X Homage Browns Jacket collab. I think Brendan might need to get a matching Arizona Cardinals one so he can be Homage uh, Jacket Brothers. But use our link below. Support the show. Let's talk about let's talk about Victor Wembanyama. Moving off Celtics Bucks to move into a lot of other big topics, big stories, big things happening in the world of professional basketball. Brennan, let's start with Victor Wembanyama, who had a triple-double the other night, 24-13-4-4. He's averaging per 36 minutes right now. He is killing it as a center now that Zach Collins has been hurt, and he's just the center on that team now. He plays every bit of the fact that he is 7-4. The Spurs are still not very good, <laughs> to be clear. That team is still... A ways away from being something that can match the upside of of Vic, but he has his triple double. He's had all these amazing moments. It feels like the the Victor Wembanyama uptick and the him like hitting another level in season kind of feels like it's staring us in the face right now. Yeah, we ended the last show by being a little negative about him, so I want to, you know, take the opportunity to be a little bit positive because he deserves it. Those numbers are astounding. He's really the only component, I think you would say, of his game that hasn't come around. I guess there's two. He's not making his threes. He's sub-30% on threes, and he's turning the ball over a ton. But the other part of the lineup change that happened is 
yes, he's playing center and Collins was healthy when he first, you know, credit to the Spurs coaching staff. They did it before Collins got hurt, but now it's even more intense that he's never playing with Collins, who's benched with an injury. But the other part of it is that he's kind of also filling in more as a point guard now that they're playing less through Jeremy Sohan. So it's almost like we were clamoring for the Spurs to have a real center, and they had one. We were clamoring for them to have a point guard. Trey Jones has done that more, but Vic is also filled in there, and they're operating through very Tim Duncan-like kind of post-playmaking of his as well. And when your floor is that high at 19, like I just think... It's going to go under the radar because they've been so bad, but he's living up to, I think, everything we would have hoped for. It just might not be as flashy because it hasn't come outside of, I guess, that Bucks game last week in like these high-profile, nationally televised, competitive moments. Yeah, and I, and I think that's somewhat just a product of the fact that his team isn't very good, right? Like If he was on a team that was just more, I think, thought of within the day-to-day who's going to win the title, who are the best teams, whose stock is up, who's done. They're kind of, and it's not his fault, but they've kind of, there's somewhat of an afterthought within the, the big structure of the NBA just because of the quality of the team. Like that is just kind of. But that's true for most rookies, right? And he's yeah. still kind of slipped. I mean, I think obviously we can acknowledge the Spurs are just not a sexy yeah. team. But I mean, they're going to start winning soon, and I think that will all come. But just as a player, like, developmentally, this guy is exactly where you would want him to be. And I threw the stat in here in our notes that Trey Jones, Devin Vassell, Jeremy Sohan, Victor Wembanyama, which is four-fifths of their current starting lineup. That fifth guy has kind of been a revolving door. Kelton Johnson has started at times. Malachi Branham has started at times. Obviously, Zach Collins, who we talked about right now. It's Justin Champagny, who was great in Summer League. But those four guys, plus 18 net rating and almost 100 minutes together now, now that they're actually playing together more consistently, to me, that is another great indicator. And if the Spurs can just get out of their own way, I feel like Vic is laying a foundation to do something Really impressive with them and win probably quicker than we think, maybe despite some of the boneheaded stuff we're seeing if they, you know, make the right moves this offseason and keep building in the same direction. The other thing, too, Brendan, that big picture with him, I, I think, has come away really impressive. And some of this is, again, a Spurs thing where they've limited his minutes to some degree. You know, he's averaging 28 a game on the year as far as minutes, but, you know, he's not getting heavy, heavy workloads. And there's times where he's pulled out early and, and Pop has been very direct about managing him. He's played in 32 or 36 games and, and he to me when you see him play I don't feel like we have seen him and it's you know it's not even the halfway point yet but we haven't seen him feel the brunt of being in the NBA yet in a way you might have thought for him transitioning from, from Europe where he played way fewer games over to the NBA which is a more physical league which is demanding a lot in terms of travel and playing on a night to night basis. There's something to me really impressive in what whatever he is doing, whatever the Spurs are doing, whatever the combination of those two things are, where he just looks physically there. Like, it's not a question of, hey, like, is this guy physically going to be able to hang in the NBA or what? what is that transition going to look like? There's obviously still room to grow in that, and at some point he's going to strength-wise probably implement himself in games the way he does with his height already and his skill already. But he hasn't mm-hmm. been overwhelmed by what the league is demanding of him physically, and I think that is 
part of this that we're 30 games into the year. He's played heavy minutes. He's traveled a lot, all that stuff. And he is here. He's healthy. It's so impressive to me that he's held up physically in that regard. Yeah, and you wouldn't have thought that at all. I think that was even bigger than getting into the point guard stuff or lineups or any of that, what you would have been most worried about. So there's a huge reason for optimism there. And I know we want to get to the Clippers and beyond here, so I won't open this Pandora's box too wide, but I'm I'm interested this season with Vic and a couple other guys that aren't rookies and have different certain situations, but fall into the same category, including Zion and Kawhi. It feels like it is a big year for playing basketball is the best thing to do to maintain basketball shape. Well, which, which is what all the old heads have been saying for years that they're just like, Hey, can we just like play basketball? You'll actually be fine. And, and oftentimes they, I think part of their problem and Brendan and making those arguments was that they made them as if like they were, arguing that like 90s basketball was better or that it's just like the, this generation is soft. There's just like, but there is just an argument. It's like, hey, if you play basketball and you take care of yourself on top of that, you're probably going to be healthy enough to play a lot of basketball. Yeah, and Vic had the ankle thing that you were alluding to where he was mm-hmm. in and out of games, missed a couple games, was on a minutes restriction, but he played till June last year with the French league team that he was on. And a lot of these guys, it's like, yeah, maybe managing minutes, maybe the less practice time are adjustments that needed to be made in the modern era, because what players are asked to do physically is way more extensive than what they had to do in the nineties when it was like, Hey, stand around while, you know, MJ ISOs for a bit and take a shot. If you get the ball and then go guard your ass off, that's not really the job anymore. So I do think there's more physical, push and wear and tear but for this rookie to be able to come in with a body we've never seen and kind of just handle it to your point is is super impressive um did you love my segue to Kawhi leonard there chris that was just excellent I, podcasting so, you know i'm sorry i i kind of ignored it and i'm so i'm honestly just the last thing we'll say i just want to say about vic mm-hmm. there's sneakily a top like five to seven team for me at the trade deadline because of him Mm-hmm. I just want to see like how much do they sell off? Do they like go buy ahead of time for something they need? We'll talk about that closer to the deadline. They're worth talking about it when we do a deadline preview of some kind closer to. But well, their name has come up with Dejounte Murray and Trey Young in the past oh, week. Very very heavy oh, slot, but uh, no, it's it's out there from yeah from Matt Moore. The Dejounte thing is out there from multiple places. Matt Moore had a, a Trey thing. Uh, that they basically want a point guard. So that's that's a good thing to hear. I don't know if it'll happen in February, but yeah, they they obviously have identified, hey, this guy is ready to go. Let's uh, let's let's do it. I wish they would have realized that last year, uh, you know, maybe June, July of 2023, but, you know, better late than never. Yeah, you know, sometimes it just you, it takes you a little bit to figure it out. Let's go on to Kawhi Leonard, who has extended his deal with the LA Clippers, a fully guaranteed Deal for three years and a hundred and fifty-three million American dollars. That's a lot of money. This will keep him through, as he said, kind of deadpan. If you saw the quotes, he'll be thirty-five when this deal is done. This is a thirty-two to thirty-five kind of deal for Kawhi, and he also said that. And Paul George said this as well that he hopes to resign. Kawhi said it hopes to leads to the Clippers bringing back both Paul George and James Harden. 
Um, this, mm-hmm. this is after the Raptors. We can get to that, those ramifications of it, Brendan, but what did you make of, of this Kawhi extension? It came seemingly out of nowhere. No reporting that it was coming soon. None of that. Just the team announced it, which is incredibly rare in, in this modern media ecosystem. <laughs> I guess it is the Kawhi Leonard of it all, right? He's a quiet dude. Um, and his free agency, I mean, it, it took over the league because it was so impactful, but you had all sorts of insanity. I think there were lawsuits over what was and was not said about Kawhi Leonard's free agency. So yeah, maybe it's better that it was nothing this time. Also, did you know, I I looked this up as you said Kawhi's age because I was on Paul George's basketball reference page. Did you know PG is a year and a half older than Kawhi? I would have had that the opposite for sure. So I learned that about a couple months ago when I was, I don't remember why I was like looking at their basketball reference pages, but I came across a couple months ago and, and like you in this moment, it surprised me because yeah. I didn't, I feel like Paul George is like 31, but I've always in my head, yeah. like he, even when he was like 24 on the Pacers, he played like, I like, this is like a mature season yeah. like professional who's like 27 to 30. Like he just feels like he's in that range. Um, Kawhi also mm-hmm. feels like he's been, I mean, it's he has been around a long time at this point, but it feels like he's been in our basketball eyes for for so long on these big stages. Yeah. So it feels Paul like George is older 25. than Damian Lillard. Like the, okay, I, that, I don't understand that. That. that 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 doesn't make any sense. How Paul George no. was Paul George a two and done guy? I mean, Dame was a four year guy, so that doesn't really like answer yeah. that. No, it's it's weird. But anyway, I think. Look, obviously it's a huge deal. It has free agency ramifications, but I wasn't really ready to believe that either one of these guys was going to actually leave the Clippers until it happened. I, I just, it felt well, more they, like wishful thinking for other teams. Well, and but I mean, we've, the arena part of this too is just not to, I didn't mean to cut you off, but it's like Bill Simmons and others have talked for a while how the Clippers weren't going to go into this new arena without like named players. So like, yeah, and that's the smart thing to do. But I mean, I also look like, I thought Kawhi was going to stay more so than PG anyway, just because it kind of felt like if Kawhi's injuries were to continue, if his, you know, other teams having questions about what he wants and who he is as a person continued, it's like, well, the incumbent advantage of being the team that already employs him is going to go a long way with health and with personality and everything else. So I didn't really ever allow myself to believe Kawhi would leave, and he's not leaving. I think it's a huge deal, obviously, for all those reasons and keeping this core together and keeping your championship window open. But I was kind of of the opinion, Chris, that really, like, even if you had told me that the minor, I believe it was a meniscus this past time that he suffered in the Suns playoff series in the first round last year, if you were to say he never recovered from that or had to miss this entire season as a result, but was scheduled to come back for 24, 25, I would still think that they would sign him to this contract. I just sort of wanted to really see them play hardball and hear a lot more in the way of leaks and, and negativity about this whole situation before I was, worried about it at all so I guess in my head I'm less surprised seeing it even though obviously the nature of no reporting made it a little more surprising and I definitely kind of gasped like everybody else they need to do this he's the only relevant player that has ever chosen to stay here outside of Blake Griffin ever he's the most talented player in franchise history 
you keep this guy no matter what it takes. And it's the same reason the Warriors were going to retain Kevin Durant after his injury and everything else. You don't let these guys go. 100%. You can't let someone like Kawhi go. You don't really have a way to pivot off this era and stay relevant without a complete teardown. And when this team has played of late, I think most importantly, we have them in our inner ring contenders here, Brendan. We did that on the last episode. This team is legit in the title race. Mm-hmm. Obviously, some concerns. And keeping Kawhi healthy for not just now, but the duration of the seal is going to be the biggest indicator of its success or its failure. But this team is fourth in net rating this year. Fifth in offense, they're eighth in defense, and they have a bottom five or six. Like ex- they should have like nearly two, like nearly three wins more than they do based on how good their net rating is. And they're twenty four and thirteen. This is like just a yeah. straight up really really good basketball team that has everything you could want, and they're getting buy in from everyone. Ty Lue's mm-hmm. doing all the right stuff. They have some moves to still make. And Brendan, the other thing I, I really like about this, and I think makes a good business to me is that I like that they're not doing, I th- and, and maybe this is because it's Balmer and they have the money and, and all that. Maybe there's, there's some factors here that I think do make this possible pragmatically that it would in other markets or in other organizations. But I like that. They're just saying, you know what? We, we went down this path. Let's see it out. Let's actually see this out. Cause one way or the other, yes, you could let them go for business reasons, but basketball wise, you're actually going to get to see this air out. It feels like to some degree, you're going to actually get some finality about this Kawhi, Paul George, throwing Harden into that mix as far as this Clippers era. That's, as a fan of basketball and a fan of just like actually getting to see things play out, that and that to me is is a really cool thing. Obviously, some risks. Um, if in it, I guess I would ask you this: Are there risks to you if they lock in Paul George next and then they figure out something with Harden? Like, is there? Do you what kind of risks or down? Do you see any risks or significant downsides if? This if they ultimately do lock in this this trio, not just Kawhi. Of course, I mean we all know the injury possibilities. It's a lot yeah, nicer to, but beyond injuries, yeah. I mean it. It's a lot. Well, I mean what what beyond injuries are there? I mean James Harden melting well, down, but they can't extend him at all. They have to wait, sign him so, to a new yeah. contract because he chose to opt into this deal. Uh, you might remember that whole saga. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I th- no, I mean, I, I think the most important number here to me of anything we could look at from the Clippers season, Kawhi's season, the dollar figure, the most important number to me is that he's played in 33 games this season out of 37. And I think that more than anything is what gave them the confidence to go ahead and move forward on this. When he's played, what he's doing this season shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. This is what he does. But... The fact that he's playing, the fact that he hasn't had any setbacks, and the fact that I think even from an interpersonal standpoint, as much as we just joked about how little we ever are really going to know about this guy, I think you heard enough around you know people who would know that it was tenuous between them as much as recently as last year with the you remember how they were running Kawhi's minutes last year, where he was only playing second halves. Do you remember that era? That was like twelve months ago. And he had like an iron grip on everything related to his minutes patterns and his availability and everything else. So solving 
and getting on the same page, whatever was going on with that and developing the right amount of trust to get him to play and then get him to commit to wanting to be here and, and all that stuff is is the most important thing. But yeah, I mean, would you like to be re-signing, you know, uh, in his prime superstar like you just traded for? Uh, yes, but I think to your point, it's seeing an era through, but it's also... When you make the trade for Paul George in the summer of 2019 and you get Kawhi at the same time, you don't do that for four years of it. You do no. that for the rest of their careers if you can make that happen. Yeah, you ride it out. You try to win a title with them. You have a great coach. You have a owner that is willing to, to spend money. I'm all for this. I am all for what they're going to do here. I hope to God we get a chance to see this team make a playoff run. I... I, I kind of don't as a team in the Western Conference, uh, as as a fan of a team in the Western Conference. I'd prefer okay, not maybe, to see it, but okay. But like maybe maybe like Suns Clippers second round, and you get to cover seven awesome basketball games. No, I'm all for it. I think too. Look, the uh, they deserve a, a healthy run because I talk about the Suns. They got the right the the upper hand, the lucky hand of two years where the Clippers injury luck struck at the wrong time and they were able to beat the Clippers twice as a result. I don't think that happens based on them. These two teams playing each other twice in the past week and the Clippers resoundingly winning both. Uh, I don't, I don't think the Suns want that matchup again. Uh, and I don't think anybody does. There's really not a Western conference team. That's like, yeah, we own the Clippers that doesn't exist. So if this team's healthy, I think the league should kind of watch out. Yeah. I mean, this is like a team that can press Denver. This is a team that has the personnel to attack Denver in a way that's really specific. This is a team, Brennan, that like on paper matches up well with the Celtics. How many teams can say on paper they match up well with the Celtics? It's a very short list, and the Clippers are at the top of it to me. Yeah. So, yeah, they're going to probably be the number one team to watch, I think, down the stretch of the season just to see how those matchups shake out and how much better they can get. Do they make moves? Like they're They're right there. Everything is trending up for them. 100%. All right, let's move on to some WNBA news. We have Elena Deladon, one of the best players, most notable players in that league, appears to be on the move. The next, uh, the online publication covering all things women's basketball has reported that it appears that Elena Deladon, two sources tell the next that Deladon is expected to move to another team this offseason. Deladon is at 34. She averaged 16.7 points and 5.4 rebounds per game last year she's had obviously numerous issues that have interrupted seasons after season after season after season and she's probably staring down if, she, if you're looking at it from her perspective staring down how long is left in her career to achieve at a high level to chase another chance to chase a championship to chase ultimate high success Brendan, i'll ask you this we'll get into a full WNBA preview where we can get into okay is she the best free agent is where is she going to go we'll probably get more reporting between now and then what is what is your favorite do you have like a favorite immediate fit for her do you have a most fun fit i have a most fun fit that came to mind but i don't think it's actually likely even though i think it's really fun we'll go for yours Elena Deldon, how do you feel about this, the great city of Indianapolis? How do you feel about ca playing with Caitlin Clark and Aaliyah Boston and being the old head between those two? Can you imagine her where she gets to like pick her spots a little bit more and be be part of those two amazing young players? They obviously have no like they have other players and 
she would have to you'd kind of like shoehorn her into some degree with what she is now. But I'm just picturing her in a situation where she gets to kind of take the load off, so to speak, and be on a team that's yeah. going to be on the up and up next year. That that I think could be a, a real benefit for her if she's willing and would cover for some of her weaknesses as well. You could talk yourself into her going to some of the better teams in the league and and whatnot. But I think there's a really fun idea of her going to play with some really young players and being kind of the old head who picks her spots and can be kind of a guiding light for a team in that regard as it's finding its foot. I love that fit. I think she absolutely would be... I mean, you're starting to talk about like... Could you get a, a nice juicy bet on the fever to like make the finals if yeah. she's on a team with those two? So I, I certainly would love that from an entertainment standpoint. She's one of the players, though, in basketball, Chris, where Chris Paul is kind of like this since Uh-oh. leaving uh, the Clippers. Um, LeBron, obviously, very notably had a little bit of this where Proximity to family, proximity to home is incredibly important to her. This is a player who has never gone overseas in large part because she is wants to be close to the, the Northeast where her family was. She went to the University of Delaware instead of UConn because even that difference in distance mattered, right? So obviously Washington is not directly next to that, but it's close. I don't know if that means she would never go anywhere else because, again, as you also pointed out, she's 33 and she has won one title, but she's good enough to contribute to another. And going somewhere just because it's nearby at the expense of winning a championship probably doesn't make sense because then, well, stay with Washington, right? That's kind of where they are. Also, because the WNBA doesn't have a lot of teams, what is nearby is not exactly like looted, you know? It's like, well, but it goes to the Connecticut Sun would be where my mind goes. Okay. They could use her yeah. big time. Um, they just have never quite had enough offense. And Tiffany Hayes, who was kind of their wing scorer, just retired. So, you know, circle them. Maybe there's some world in which with John Quill Jones, a free agent that Deladon goes to the Liberty. think that's a little far-fetched. I don't think it's a perfect fit. I think they really I need the, Jones, as we saw time the, and again last year. The, the fit of that would be, it would be must-watch in terms of the offensive scoring power on most nights. They would be blitzing teams around the league, but I would think they'd be less likely to be the aces in that hypothetical scenario. Like, they would, they're already yeah. going to be underdogs next year. Everyone's going to be chasing las vegas that isn't that isn't the gear they would need i would think i I like the sun idea that that to me is probably the most practical one in terms of geography and actually her getting to contend for something yeah and and then you quickly get to like what have wnba stars valued the most in free agency time and again recently in the past few years going somewhere where they can be part of the best organizations the 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 split between the teams that spend and the teams that don't is getting wider and wider. And so I think of a team like the Seattle Storm, who have a great ownership group, are building a practice facility, are the only show in town from a basketball standpoint and have a great fan base. The Sparks, you know, they want to kind of turn things around. It feels like they're on a better path. But, you know, with both of those or the Phoenix Mercury, who, you know, have a an owner who wants to make waves and uh, assistant associate head coach Christy Tolliver, who was on this team 
last year and many before it and won the championship with Elena Deladon? Does she want to go to Phoenix? Does she want to go to Seattle? Does she want to go to LA or is that too far away? I think to your point, we'll hear more and I think that'll give us more clarity. But I mean, the thing about Deladon, in addition to her greatness is she's one of the most malleable possible superstars. She can score with or without the ball. She's solid enough on defense to kind of keep things together. She's big, but she can play on the perimeter. You could plug her in anywhere and she's going to make a huge impact. So it's really going to be a bidding war, I think, at this point. 100%. Well, the other part of this is to where does this leave the Mystics? one of the more stable WNB organizations. Right. But it, it's with Natasha cloud, like leaving as well, this is going to mark a new era for them. And that in itself is fascinating. Mm-hmm. It puts another team in the rebuild category, maybe a year too late for them to, to, to really get it on it being an easier process, let's say, but you know, the WNBA does, does it, we have seen more draft trades. Maybe there's something funky to come here. Uh, and we don't know if everybody's going to be in the draft still, right? So, yeah. you know, we got to see what those look like. But yeah, uh, one suggestion would be for Ted Leonsis to put the team in the arena that he wants to build in Virginia for the Wizards. That'd be nice. You know, guy who runs the organization should probably have its best interests in mind. And having them play in a nice new arena rather than finding some bullshit place to put them would be smart. Just my two cents. Yeah. I'm not a billionaire, so I don't know all that stuff. Oh, wait, he's not either. That's why he's so uh, poor and you know cheap with all this stuff. So, you know, we'll see what he does. Salute. All right, let's go into our usually weekly, but it's been a little bit, segment yeah. Waving the Flag, where we look at two teams we're, we've waving our flag on this entire season. That's obviously the Orlando Magic and the Sacramento Kings. Brennan, let's start. We'll go east to west. Let's start with the Orlando Magic. This week, we're just going to... Geek out about Paolo Bancaro because Paolo Bancaro is having a really, really breakout season. And I want to frame it this way, Brendan. I was just in thinking about him and thinking about where this NBA season is going and thinking about where that Magic team is going. He's really high up on my list of guys I want to see in the playoffs this year because I cannot wait to see how it stretches him, how it pushes him, how he adapts to it, what he goes through. He's having this year where his usage is super high. His assist percentage went up. His turnovers, as you would expect, went up a little bit, but if you look at his turnover percentage for what he is, it's only gone up like a little bit on a usage rate. It's not even been a one-to-one thing. His, his usage ratio is better than it was as a rookie, and he's developed into a three-level score. This guy feels like the complete offensive package. The next step for him is going to get to be put through the ringer in the playoffs and see where he goes and see how you know he, he translates in that regard certainly i think still room for him to improve in certain areas i think particularly at the rim considering his size you would expect him to be a little better than 60 percent at the rim yeah. and, and kind of up his efficiency in that way but how do you feel about that is he is this someone do you're with like me you want to see how he goes in the play see how that translates and see kind of what that brings out of him at this point in this career very very young career Yeah, to me, he's kind of the Anthony Edwards of this year's postseason, right? He's the guy that is going to get his first crack at what we expect to be a potential championship-type ceiling with him as one of the lead guys on a a great team. You know, and that does bring something. Brings high highs and low lows, even Ant, who we both believe in. He's not like he's averaged 40 every night, every postseason game, right? He's he's a, a high turnover guy as well and gets kind of lost in the flow. I know Ann has had more than just one of those. He hasn't gotten out of the first round yet, but I think Paolo's in for something similar. What 
is funny to me looking at sort of his statistical profile a little bit like you were and you mentioned the number it's almost like the thing that paulo needs to get better at is what we already expect that he will eventually be great at which is getting to the basket and finishing Mm -hmm. it's like that's sort of it's kind of right there slow hanging fruit almost just with his physical profile how hard we know he plays and how unstoppable he looks at times when he does play that way it's like well yeah i mean you know he's only getting to the basket a little more than a third of the time and he's finishing at, as you said at a 60 percent clip but when he does uh attempt shots around there he tends to get fouled so it's kind of like if he can develop the strength and footwork and core core strength and balance to just get into those tight windows and finish through contact. I'm not really sure how you stop this guy and the passing and the playmaking and the, you know, cleaning up the turnovers. That's just going to come. I think from reps, we see uh, younger players deal with that all the time. We just mentioned it with ant, but that feels like kind of the only missing ingredient. If this shooting increase this season from deep is real, we're already talking about a pretty fully formed offensive player and he will be, you know, 22 heading into next season. It's pretty crazy what's kind of sitting on the table for him right now. This is also just a guy that I think some of this stuff, if I'm making an argument for them being buyers at the deadline and for the sake of him and just in that specific vein, Brendan, I could see a world where they just go get a competent... Like, I don't need them to go get an all-star point guard. I don't need them to get someone who's going to be their long-term answer. I don't think that player is even really on the market for them right now. But imagine if they just got someone who is better at setting the table for him and maybe just gets him easier looks times, organizes him better. A lot of the times, I feel like he goes awry when this team just gets dysfunctional and this team ends up being a little bit all over the place in a way that means he's freelancing. It means he's driving into contested yeah. shots at the rim. You get a Taking real... just like, bad pull-up jumpers. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, it's like you don't need to do this if your offense is functioning properly. You get a world where they go get Tyus Jones, they go get pick pick uh, Monty Morris. Just get someone who can run the show and like distribute things and keep the trains running on time. You're probably getting just a little bit of an uptick in efficiency from Paolo that could make a big difference. Again, I think that that's a long term roster question for them. And how much does Franz feel that? How much does Paolo himself kind of grow into that kind of creator for others to kind of be the structure himself to some degree? That's obviously a big test for any young creator and. It will tell us about where his ceiling is ultimately. Mm-hmm. But I think that's just the thing for him. If I kind of want to bring the best out of him right now, I want that kind of guy on this Magic team. It would set him up for success, I think, in a real way if you get that kind of guy. It's funny. It's It'll be interesting in like five years to look back on the randomness of... Some of it selected, right? They didn't build the roster that way, like you said. But also, they've had injuries. Also, their draft position meant that Franz and some of these other guys were naturally who ended up on the team. And like, you know, the Vooch trade, they kind of won that trade. But it's like, all right, well, you get Wendell Carter Jr., who's another big. That's the best asset you could have gotten from the Bulls. But okay, he happens to also kind of clog the pain and be a center too. And all that opens up to make Paolo have the ball in his hands way more than I think anyone would have thought. Like at Duke, it was like, oh, wow, and he can kind of pass a little 
cool. And then in the NBA, it's been like, all right, brother, <laughs> win us some games. You know what I mean? And a lot of the time he's done it. Like they they were pretty solid last year. They're legitimately good this year. And he's getting to kind of develop and get those reps on a productive, competitive team. Like that's sort of the best of a lot of different worlds. I wonder what it'll mean for his role and his style as he ages, but it's kind of the best you could ask for in a lot of ways. I just think as you're describing with the, with the guard play, one thing that feels obvious and maybe it is Franz and him, although you can switch that pick and roll, but he's only getting four and a half percent of his possessions as an offensive player this year Mm. or as a role man. Yeah, that's not enough. In the pick and roll. That's such a small number for somebody that you just imagine whether it is scoring or whether it is making plays in the short roll as a passer a la, you know, Blake Griffin or Draymond Green. That that role is tailor-made for him. So that to me is like a, just an obvious statistic that jumps out when you kind of break down how he's been used and what's kind of sitting there to be pulled at even more as they build out the rest of this roster. So... Yeah, but look, like his floor is so freaking high. This guy's 21 and he's already doing this stuff. We just talked the other day about first-time All-Stars and we agreed he had a pretty decent shot at it. He's 21. He's in year two. The offensive game is just insanely advanced. Um, It is insanely... Like, competent is often not, Phil Brennan, like a compliment that is, like, fun to get up. But there's something really awesomely competent about what he is and again I, I think that's I think that's more rare and is more valuable and I, I think I at times have realized or valued I think just having like a baseline level of something does ultimately really really matter to your point about Rollman we talked about this in the relation to the World Cup in the summer about him playing at the five do you know how yeah. many have you looked at have you looked at the, the how much he's played at the five do you have you looked at just how wonky some of this data is so far no. Okay. Give it to us. Key. Key. 138 total possessions. That's not a lot. Most common lineup with him at the five is 15 possessions. To Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, um, Caleb Houston, Franz Wagner, and then Paolo. There's another. There's two other lineups with 15. One is Anthony Suggs, Gary Harris, Wagner, and Paolo. The other one at 15 is Suggs, Anthony Black, Wagner, Jonathan Isaac, and Paolo. I don't. Well, they have too many centers. So this, right? is, this is kind of the thing. They a have too many centers that are decent, right? Like because they have Mo Wagner, they have Goga Batate, they have uh, Wendell Carter Jr. and Jonathan Isaac, who really is only a center at this point because he can't really do anything on offense. Right. So you can't like slide him there, and then when they've done it, it's like it feels very much just like if you just look at this and then you go back and look at some of the film on this, it's very much just like we have to do this at this one time and we're going to ride it out for a little bit and then we're never going to think about it again. And you, it feels like that. And I think long-term I want to see Paolo as the five where he's rolling and doing Giannis things where he's the fulcrum of the attack in a different way that might require, I think a more trustworthy guard as your point guard than an Anthony or, or a Suggs or Franz maybe slides into like, if we're making analogies, like a Chris Middleton kind of situation in, in that regard where he's, he, mm-hmm. he sometimes runs a pick and roll and oftentimes is the team's point guard, but also spots up and does other things off ball. There's something here. The data on it for this year is really bad offensively, especially so. And I, but I don't even want to, you can't even take some of this, for much because it's such a small sample and scattered that it's like hard to even like know what 
to make of it if I'm looking at this, but I want to see more of it is my broader point. I want to see a lineup at some point where it's like 250 possessions and instead of 4% as a role man, it's like 10% of his possessions as a role man. And and I think he becomes more efficient in that even if we want him to do the the three-point shooting stuff and all that is great. I think it's going to be like one of the weapons on his tool belt, right? I, I think we're probably getting past an era where you want that to be like a constant look for you because size is king right now in the league. And yes, they have a lot of centers, but what they don't have is a lot of big forwards. He's kind of the only one. Franz is not really that as a defensive player. And so you're probably, are you switching a lot? Are you kind of overexposing yourself with too much aggressive help defense, kind of like the Jason Kidd Giannis deployment uh, back in the day? And that can run into some issues with big teams or teams that have a lot of shooting. So I want to see it be more than more than nothing, which is pretty much what it is now, but kind of where it ends up is going to be a cool subplot too. And, and what they see it as and how they draft and acquire players too. Cause yeah, I think we're identifying, right. It's not just a, a guard that they need. It's probably a little more of those defensive wings and forwards that they'll probably want to add too to build different types of lineups around him going forward into the you know distant future, 10, five, 10 years from now. Last thing on, on Powell before we get to the Sacramento Kings. Is he if where I, I guess this is like maybe a fun off season episode, but where would he rank as far as like your young you start a franchise with a guy right now? Like where who who I the only names to me that feel like obviously ahead of him for going like year three and under, it's like hmm. it's like Vic and Chet probably, like just off the top of my head without thinking about it too much. Like I would put him ahead of the twenty twenty one class right now. I think ahead of Scotty, ahead of Mobley, ahead of Cade. Obviously, I think ahead of Shangun. His class, uh, yeah, I would have him ahead probably. Of I don't even. I I still think Sangoon. We're figuring out like how he stacks up with like he's been really really good this year. I'm I have a lot of conflicting thoughts about where that that 2021 class is awesome. I haven't quite figured out how I want to rank all of them yet. If we're we're gonna have an episode about that at some point, and I'm still trying to figure out how to exactly like parse that group and put sure. them in kind of like an order that makes sense in my head. Yeah, I, I think he's right up there. Um, what about him versus J-Dub? I would take Paolo. But the, some of that is, some of that, Brendan, I think is opportunity for Paolo in a way that J-Dub does not fully get in the same way in OKC because that's Shea's team. And then I think Chet's kind of becoming the number two most important guy in that team. And Paolo is mm-hmm. the most important guy in Orlando, as good as Franz is. I think that's Paolo's team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a fascinating question, but he's definitely up there. And what he's doing in, in year two at age 21 is really something else. And you think about the fact that, you know, by the time he's hitting his prime, I'm realizing now with a lot of guys, I feel like as we settle into an era where guys are so good right away, like Luka Doncic is 25. Yeah. What the he's fuck? Not, Luka he's not like in he his also- prime yet. And it feels like we're already at the point of the life cycle with him. And I wrote an article like this where it's like, come on, brother. You got to give us more. He's 25. Yeah. You know? Uh, And just so many of these guys are like that. So when you really think about it that way, it's like, (laughs) go for it. You got it. He's 19. Yeah, okay. All right. Yes. And uh, look, like by, by the time Paolo's hitting his prime and the way we think of it, we're talking five years from now, six years from now, and he's already this good. So yeah, a lot, a lot left uh, to to watch from him, and he'll be in our conversations on our minds as hoops fans. I think for a long time.
Let's get him to Paris too. Want him on the Olympic team? I just want him there yeah. for the experience. It'd be good for him. I think he's Absolutely. if he, if there's like a token young guy that doesn't get to play but gets to like be around all the 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 players in their prime. I want it to be Paolo. Paolo or Chet. For sure. Chet also could have a role. I could talk myself into Chet having a role to help the Americans win the Olympics. But we'll get to that come June when they're playing in Paris. Sacramento Kings, let's get to you now. Brennan, this team is right now about even in point differential, so I'll ask you this as an open-ended question. Where are they right now, considering they've they were negative point differential on the year for a little bit? Their their numbers over the last two weeks have been a little bit more positive than that, but overall trends have them as just kind of fine. So where do you mm-hmm. have the Kings right now as as we exist? Yeah, they're in an inter- interesting spot. I think the game where they got blown out by the Pelicans, the Pelicans did that to the Warriors too. On Wednesday night, CJ McCollum is shooting his ass off right now. Herb Jones looks like freaking Clay Thompson half the nights that you watch that team, and they just feel like they're kind of hitting their stride. So I wouldn't, and that probably hurt their point differential and a lot of that stuff when you lose by 30 plus. So I wouldn't panic about that one. I think the fact that you've seen Sabonis have to score more lately to me is always a bad sign. It's like when Jokic has to score a lot, right? It's like, okay, if it's the second or third round of the playoffs, yes, use your huge unguardable seven-footer to score. But what he is on that team is it's it's lead playmaker. The same thing can be said for Sabonis. So when he's having to score 25, 30 points and take a lot of shots, that's not great. If they're obviously at least one move from being anything close to a title contender. We've had the argument about whether they can even be that with Sabonis. I think that can be a little reductive, but it's it's lingering. And so what I would say is, on the whole, if I'm looking at the season, I think the fact that Fox has evolved into legitimately a at least kind of a 1B, if not a legitimate 1A, as an offensive guy on a great team, is a huge victory. That he took another leap after last year's leap is probably the single most important thing about their team, even if we still have concerns. And again, with that Pelicans game, Herb Jones just put him in jail. I'm not worried about De'Aaron Fox. Beyond that, it's like, okay, well then what's the rest of your team look like? And it kind of feels like a situation where everybody, to me, besides him, Murray, and Sabonis is probably going to be available in the next month. And they might be kind of where I expected them to be in the standings, but how long is that tenable? How long is that okay? Do you want to push forward beyond that? Seems like everything we've heard is they do. So I'm excited to see, but I think any negativity, it's kind of like they're still 23 and 14. They're kind of right where we would have thought, I think, heading into the season. I'm right there with you with all of that. I think the they are at the they are the team in the West at least that I think is at the as most is 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 best representing the philosophical debate you can have with basketball teams that aren't in the glamour markets. I think more than anywhere else. Or what does a team like this owe itself to think about its future and long term success and sustainability of some kind versus maximizing the right now? when Fox is doing what he's doing and you have Sabonis in his prime and Murray's on the upswing and you have assets to play with and the cost of your basketball team is not so prohibitive that it's going to cost you in a big significant way going forward. They're at that inflection point right now. I think there's a there's obviously like another world, Brendan, in the summer where we're, we're in a different spot with them where they could have gotten something 
above what they ended up doing, which is bringing back Harrison Barnes and some other kind of moves on the fringe. They didn't make any of the, those big moves. But then I look at the Siakam trade stuff, and that fell apart. Siakam, the reporting from Sam Amick for now. is that he just, for now, wasn't going to resign there. And I could under, I, I fully understand if I'm Monty McNair and I'm that brain trust wondering, are we really a team that can give up real stuff that's kind of our one trade chip and then have that guy just walk? That's a really hard place for them to exist. I'm fully sympathetic to that. At the same time... And probably colors why maybe they didn't end up getting a free agent, right? Yes. We I mean, can all decide somebody fits with the Kings, but they have to want to go to the Kings. A hundred percent. We're in a world, Brendan, where it's I think it's becoming more apparent than ever to some degree that there are markets guys want to be in and there are markets that guys don't want to be in and they only are happy to go to some of these other markets when they have no other choice slash they aren't good enough to demand their way to certain places. There's a class of really good NBA players that probably want to be in certain places, but probably aren't good enough to demand heaven and earth and move heaven and earth and get to exactly where they want to go. That's yeah. kind of that. That's not totally fair to some of these teams in other markets. I don't think it's fair to like bash these teams like Sacramento. I think Cleveland's in. This well, city. no, because look, like the thing about it is that when Sacramento has been able to get people in the door, either by drafting De'Aaron Fox, even by drafting Tyrese Halliburton, he's had nothing but good things to say. Yeah. Drafting Keegan Murray or trading for DeMontis Sabonis, they've they've turned guys. Loved it. They've identified they the right it. types of personalities and the people who have come and been part of this turnaround, by all accounts, are thrilled with it. So, like, I guess it's kind of hypocritical for me to sit here and be negative about their summer when I think they're going to be overpaying Sabonis. That is what it is. But with the Barnes thing and even the smart trade for Herder two summers ago and all that stuff, and then also be the guy who's constantly calling it a trades and extensions league. It's like, well, they extended people and they set themselves up for trades. So they're probably doing it right, even if it just feels like they should be a little more aggressive. Maybe now's the time that we see them do that. I would love them to be aggressive. I, I will. Again, we have a full... The NBA trade season preview we'll get to. More reporting will come. If it's not Siakam, is there a name you'd want? Is there just a name that comes to mind for you? You'd want them to, to chase after and, and make a substantial offer on? It would just be another guy like that. They need defense at the wing and forward spots. They need to... I think Fox is a fine point of attack defender. I f see a lot of Kings fans defending him as a defender a lot online. But the reality is he's a one position defender, even if he's good at doing that, you know, so you want a, a big and, and Malik Monk is not defensively somebody you want to put on the court with him too often. And they 